Trace Church, how are we doing? It is so good to be here. My name is Aaron Pennington. I am the lead pastor at Trace today. Listen, he had a little bit of a tan in that video. We, we could pass. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. It is so good to be here with brothers and sisters from this part of the world. We certainly are excited uh, to worship King Jesus together. Let me just quickly say, and I think I speak on behalf of the leadership here, if, uh, if this is your first time here or you have, haven't trusted Jesus, you don't know who Jesus is, we are thankful that you are here. I know how odd it can be going somewhere for the first time uh, and, and worshiping this Jesus who you physically don't see. Uh, but man, we hope that everybody is welcoming. That's been my experience. Everybody has been warm. Everybody has been welcoming, except your weather this morning. I don't know what's going on. I woke up to look at mountains and saw, saw fog and clouds, uh, but it is nevertheless, it's a beautiful place to be, uh, and it's a joy to be here with you all. Let me rush to publicly uh, just express my um, probably extreme affections for this church. I really do love Trace Church, and you may or may not know this, but I am family. I've actually uh, been tracking along with you guys for a long time. Before this actually was a church, uh, seven years ago, Aaron and I uh, were together in Texas with a few other guys who were all starting their churches at the same time, and um, I got to hear him cast vision for Trace Church, and my heart was moved. I immediately knew. Five minutes listening to him, I'm like, man, the Lord's with this brother. And, you know, I, I know for you guys, he seems very normal. You see him every week, and uh, him and Emily every week, but they are, they are not normal. They, they really are. He's freak, freakishly uh, unique and even gifted at leadership and, and preaching and teaching and such a godly, godly dude. And um, I just want to just express my love and affections for him. I know he's not here, but we are certainly, Ty and I, my wife, uh, we're praying for, for them and for their recovery. Uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I'll trade a few pastors in Brooklyn for Aaron any day. Don't tell him I said that, but I would trade a few passes for Aaron. If he ever becomes a free agent, uh, I got first dibs on him. Uh, but Trace, listen, as you, um, as you guys came in today, you know, one of the things I was praying, even early this morning when I got up, I was praying that this place would not become common for, for you. It's very easy to go into a church and, you know, the longer you go there, the more it's kind of like that thing I do, you know, on the weekends, it's Sunday checkoff, you know, do my Jesus thing and I move on with life. Uh, but I don't want Trace to become common. There is something special about this place. There is something unique about this place. I, I left my pants home, so I went to Banana Republic and bought these pants yesterday. And I was talking to the lady and she's like, well, you know, I, she saw my card um, and, and saw my address. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. What are you doing here? And I started to talk about Trace. I'm like, yo, you got to come. If she's here, man, I, I'm glad you're here. I was inviting her to come. If she's not here, everybody go to Banana Republic sometime this week and be like, you said you were coming to church. Uh, but I invited her, man, because uh, I genuinely love this place and believe that God's spirit is here. Listen, I don't have a lot of time and I got a lot to do. So if you can grab your Bibles and go to Luke 15, um, as you turn there, I don't have time to, to build a lot of credibility with you guys. You guys, you know, if you don't know me, just know that the Spirit of God is here. The Holy Spirit is going to use our time in the book of Luke. So Luke 15, and as you turn there, my wife Ty is here, uh, over here in the red jacket. We've been married about to be 20 years in a couple of months. About to be 20 years. 20 years of married to my best friends, uh, and we have that normal, normal marriage that is um, 
mostly great days and then we have those arguments, you know, that every married, married couple has. You know, I'm praying that the Lord would redeem some of those arguments and help her to see that I was right in a lot of those arguments. I don't know if he will, but that, that's my hope and my prayer. All right, Luke 15. Let's see, what are we going to do here? All right, this is what we're going to do. I'm excited because I get to jump in on you guys' series. I think this is the last week of the series, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is the last week of the series. I'm excited to kind of close it out, your series on what makes Jesus mad. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that angered the Lord. His, his anger is always righteous indignation, you know, anger for, for stuff that is not of the things of God. And I'm excited to jump in on a piece of that. I've kind of stalked you guys and, and been watching and I followed the sermon series. And so when Aaron hit me and asked me to jump in on the series, I was so excited about it. I want to preach today from the topic entitled, The People That God Pursues. Because one of the things that I noticed happened, not here, it doesn't happen here in Colorado Springs. Back in New York, a lot of times people um, put God in a box to who he can pursue, all of, all of us probably have done it. You know, everybody in this room got that. We have that one uncle that we're like, no way. The Lord, he's too far. The Lord won't save him. Or we got that one, you know, co-worker. We got that one boss. We know that she doesn't know the Lord, right? We got that one boss. We're like, oh, the Lord can never, ever pursue that person. But I think the passage today is going to help us to understand. And when we limit God, it angers God. When we limit who the, peop the people is that he could pursue, so if you're digging with me today, here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then, um, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit and read a little bit. All right, let's, uh, let's look to the Lord. Father, this morning, we do sit in, this afternoon, we do sit in anticipation in, of, your, of your faithfulness to us and, and anticipation of your word. Would you speak to us today? Thank you for, for your grace and your mercy. Uh, we got up this morning, and sometimes we can just think we, we've arrived at church, but it was your grace that woke us up, that that caused us to not get in any accidents, get here safely. And so we pause for a second just to say thank you. And Lord, as we dig into this word, I pray that nobody in this room would remember my name, but that everybody would walk out of here and say, I heard about Jesus today, that he would be proclaimed and he would be put in his rightful place as central to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everybody say amen. amen. The people who God pursues. I was telling uh, Dr. T earlier this morning that I've been in ministry now for nine years, uh, did seven years as uh, the pastor, the lead pastor at Epiphany Church in Brooklyn, and I did a two-year residency to, to kind of train for, it was a pastoral residency for, for any type of training for, for starting a church. So nine years I've been in full-time ministry, and one of the things I can, I can tell you I've learned and that I've picked up when you talk to people, is people typically have in their minds the type of people that God normally pursues. We, we all have some type of working, working understanding of the type. It's usually the people that have it all together, usually the people that speak the language, the Christian language, the Christianese, usually the people that show up to church, usually the people, you know, I'm not as bad as my neighbor, those type of, like those type of people, we usually think that that's who God pursues but in reality, I think if we understand this passage, which is, which is a very familiar parable, the prodigal son, we'll be in verses 11 to 31. I think if we understand this passage, it's actually opposite. I was talking to somebody the other day, and he was telling me that I would come to the Lord, but first I got to clean myself up. 
Like, number one, you're, you'll never be clean enough to clean yourself up. He's the one that cleans us up. Because what God doesn't do is he does not pursue perfect people. He pursues imperfect people, presents a perfect savior, and that's what makes them perfect. And there's, there's a difference in that. And, you know, I, I know we wouldn't say it in this room. We wouldn't say we limit God and who he pursues. But I think many of us do when we look down on the type of people God pursues. There's a pendulum swing, I think, that happens. Either there are people that feel that they are unworthy of God's pursuit. So he he knows what I did. You know, I made that decision or I'm living in, in a lifestyle that's, you know, full of sin. It's no way God would pursue me. I am undeserving. And then we swing the pendulum all the way to the other side where people feel entitled to be pursued. Well, I I've been faithful to the Lord. I got up 6 a.m. and I prayed. You know, I, 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 I came to church today and it was raining. That's, I came out today. I could have live streamed today. But I actually came out to church. And so we have this pendulum swing of I'm unworthy of God's love because of what I've done. And no, he should love me because of what I consistently do. And what Jesus does in the passage, no matter how familiar it is, is he breaks both down. The one that feels unworthy and unloved, he's like, no, bring that up. I I do love you. In fact, he loves you so much. The text says he sees the son in the field and he goes after him. But then he also takes the one that feels entitled. What I would say is the religious one. He takes them and he pulls them down and he helps them both to understand the party is for both of you. Can we just get into the text a little bit? Y'all know this. Most of you guys know this passage But act like you don't today, because I think there's something rich when we don't bring baggage into the text. Verse 11 says, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered the property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one, uh, to one of the citizens of the country that sent him in the field to feed the pigs. And as he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pit, that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Let's pause right there for a second. I wish I could introduce these characters by name but they're nameless in the text. And and it's almost, you know, it's good that they are nameless because because they're nameless, we can put ourselves in whatever situations we have into the text. So there's a younger son. I I wish that the the name of of, of this parable wasn't the prodigal son because it's actually two sons. There's the younger son that we just read about that took his father's money and squandered it. And then there's an older brother that stayed and he was faithful to the father. And then there's a father and all three of them represent the people that it's in this room and represents God the Father. So the younger son, the Bible says that, you know, he took the father's inheritance, which means he didn't want any relationship with his father. In order to someone's inheritance, that means that that person died. So the son is saying, your good is dead to me. Just give me your stuff. The Bible says he takes it and he goes to a far country and he spends all of the money on reckless living. Verse 13, we have to do some work on reckless living because reckless living doesn't mean that You know, he was out here drinking, cussing, smoking, and eating edibles. That's not what reckless living is. In order to understand reckless living in verse 13, we have to understand verse 30. Verse 30 says that the reckless living was spending all of his father's money 
on prostitutes. So it wasn't like he just got into a bad business deal. You know, it wasn't like he just lost the money. It wasn't like he was gambling. The Bible says that he took all of the money. This is important, not just some of the money, but he took all of the money that his father gave him, his inheritance, the estate, the possessions, the material possessions, and he spent them on reckless living. I don't know if he was walking down Amsterdam streets at the red light district. I don't know if he was going door to door or corner to corner, but here's what I do know. He was living in such a reckless life and such a dark life that he was satisfying his own sexual pleasures at the expense of someone else's daughter. And he spends all of the money. I think we can all agree that this type of behavior, it warrants, if you come back to the father, it warrants rejection. It, 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 you don't deserve any love from the father. You don't deserve anything from the father. And let, let me just say, some of you, this is where, this is where you came into church today. Where you do feel unloved because you did, you did squander the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. That's what most of us in this room, and I'm not beating you up, that's most of us in this room, that we've had those seasons that that's where we were, but here's what I understand about the text, that God still wants you, that God still loves you. How do I know he still loves you? Because the Bible says in the next few verses that he, that he, that he leaves the house where he is and he goes after the son. In fact, just pick it up, pick me back up in verse... Verse 17, he says, but when he came to himself, so he's still with the pigs, he came to himself and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger, I will arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say, now what he's about to do is he's going to rehearse the speech that he's going to say to his father. Now, I know that we've done that in this room. You ever been out late and you were supposed to be home at a certain time and you were rehearsing the speech you was going to say to your parents before you got to the house and you made sure everybody, you know, this is the part you're going to say, don't mess this up. You got to say that. And then you say this, this is where we was. And then you, you kind of go and you prepare, you, you prepare the speech. So he's preparing the speech as he's coming home. Here's the speech. Father, I've sinned against you in heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Don't miss this phrase. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20 says, and he arose and he came to the father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, now he's going to give him the speech because he's prepared it. So here it is. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's now found and they begin to celebrate. Don't miss the words that are used when the father sees him. He embraced him. He kissed him. He lavishes him with gifts. He says celebrate twice. Now this is the son that was walking back home unworthy, undeserving, should be rejected. He deserves repudiation right now, but what he receives is God's grace. The father in the text represents God the father. And here's why I said some of you are in the field and you feel unworthy. And God is like, you're not unworthy. I'm coming after you today. I'm pursuing you today. Why? Because God delights in pursuing the sinner. 
He he delights in pursuing the one that is far off. And so the son comes up and he says, "I, I got a speech that I prepared. Now, don't miss this. The speech came after he was already embraced. The speech came after he was already kissed. The speech came after he already said, bring a robe and put, put the, put, get the fatted calf and kill it. And then he begins the speech. And in the speech, he leaves out a part. And he leaves out a part because the father stops him. Here's what he leaves out. Treat me as your hired servant. Remember that part. He never gets to say it. And the reason he doesn't get to say that part is because the father isn't interested in him saying, I'm sorry. The father gives him grace despite the fact that he doesn't deserve it. I asked the tech team to put this up. And I hope this resonates with you. The father has more grace than the son has sin. Can you write that down somewhere? Jot that in your note. You know, if you tweet, tweet that one out. This is the father has more grace than the son has sin. And some of you in this room, you feel like what you've done can outsend the cross. You feel like you have more sin than God has grace. But if I understand this passage right, the father has more grace than we have sin. I think it's important to put a little bit of Bible here. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounds all the more. I don't, that gives me goosebumps. That, that, that messes me up when I understand that there is nothing that I could have ever done that I can come to the cross that meets me with being undeserved and unwelcome. God is like, I got more grace. You, you can't out sin. The cross was actually that, more, that powerful. One drop of God's, of Christ's blood washes all of my sins away. The father has more grace than I have sin. And you think I'm still talking about the prodigal son. I'm not. I'm now talking about the prodigal you. I'm talking about the prodigal me. Many of us come to the Lord and we think we have to clean ourselves up. We think we have to wash ourselves up before God will accept us. But you can't come clean enough. It has to be grace. Because if it's not grace, if you reverse this, the father has more, 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 more grace than the son has sinned, what we get into is merit-based gospel, which is no longer the gospel. If you change any part of this, the progression, it's no longer the gospel. God's grace outpaces my sin. God's grace is sufficient. And I don't know why I'm sticking on this point. I probably should move on, but I feel like it's really resonating in somebody's heart because somebody has that sin in their mind right now that they know they didn't tell anybody about. God, I'm so unloved. I'm so unworthy. No, he's, you're in the field, and he's pursuing you today. He's coming after you. Now, don't forget, the son wanted to be treated, Dr. T, as a hired servant. He was good. He's like, I'm feeding pigs. I'm, I'm, I'm about to eat the pigs from the pig's pod. My father's servants have more than I have. Just treat me as a hired servant. And guess what? If the father did that, that would have been grace too. He doesn't do that, though. He stops them. And puts a ring on his finger and puts shoes on his feet. He, put, he brings out the Jordans and puts them on his feet. And what he does in doing that is he doesn't restore him as a hired servant. He restores him back as son. And that's what I'm You think that God wants to tolerate you? He wants to restore you back as son. He wants to restore you back as daughter. Because his love is so great. It's so massive. And so the son comes and he's like, ah. Oh, I got to say this speech. I got to make sure he hears my repentance. But guess what? The repentance that he gives, Jesus' love and affection is not because of repentance. It's actually the action that initiates the repentance. Don't confuse this. You didn't repent. 
and make God love you, God loved you, which caused you to repent. And I know you're going, uh-uh, Pastor B, no, that's not, no, that's not me. I actually got up in the middle of service. I said, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And I came down to the altar and I gave my life to the Lord and that's why he loves me. Can I say he loved you in the seat? And what caused you to have the conviction, which is grace, to get up and, or if you do altar calls or if you just gave your life to the Lord at your seat, it's because God pursued you. He always pursues us. So in the text, the sinner is being pursued. The one who left is being pursued. The one who is disobedient is being pursued. But guess what? He's not the only one being pursued. Remember I said there's an older brother in the text. Pick me up in verse 20. Let's do verse 25. Now the older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. By the way, if you're in the field and you hear music and dancing, can we agree the party's legit? Like, this, 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 is, this is a party right here. They hear music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, what are these things, what do these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has been received back safe and sound. Watch the brother's response. But he was angry. And he entreated him. And the father came out and he entreated him. And he answered his father, look at these many days, these many years that I've served you. And I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this your son came and, uh, who came, of yours came and devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and he is now found. The older brother sees the party, hears the party, but refuses to go in. In fact, the text says he was angry. He didn't want to go in. He was upset. Why is he upset? Because entitlement has set in. He's been serving the father. He never disobeyed the father. He stayed and he was working. And as he's working, it's almost as though he was doing this to hold in his back pocket so that he could pull it out to the father and say, see what I've done. And that's, see, when it comes to church, what I love about Trace is that this is a place of an eclectic group of people. We have people that were far out that might have squandered the father's property. But guess what? We have people that stayed and are close. And we think that our religiosity is what makes us acceptable because I stayed, because I went to church, because I got up and I prayed, because I serve, because I give financially. And we think that those things make us acceptable to God. And God is like, no, that isn't what makes you acceptable. But guess what? I'm pursuing you as well. Notice that the text says that the father came out. The father entreated the older brother. Oh, I forgot to tell you something. Do you know who's in the crowd? Who's in the crowd makes this passage that much more profound to me. Who, who Jesus is talking, he's not just open air preaching. He's not just open air talking. In this moment, he's actually addressing people that are in the crowd. Verse 1 and verse 2 tells me that the tax collectors and sinners are in the crowd. Verse 2 tells me that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are in, or the scribes are in the crowd. So in other words, you have sinners in the crowd, and then you have the religious elite. You have the people who, who, who went off and squandered the wealth, and then you have the people who stayed close. And what Jesus does in his genius is he pursues both. Don't miss this. Jesus, in, God in this moment is pursuing 
the sinner, but he is also pursuing the righteous. What I love about this passage, what Jesus does is, so this isn't the only parable in this, in this chapter. He also gives the parable earlier, he gives the parable of the lost sheep. The Bible says that there's a hundred sheep and, and the, the shepherd leaves the, the 99 because one of them strayed off and he goes and he finds the 99 and he takes it and he doesn't beat it up. He doesn't slap, he doesn't break his legs. Read the, he takes it and throws it on his shoulders and he brings it back to the fold. Do you know who's rejoicing when Jesus gave that parable in the top of this chapter? The sinners. You mean to tell me? He will leave the 99, the religious, the one that stayed, he'll leave them and pursue me. Jesus is like, yeah, he'll do that. But he goes on and gives the parable of the lost coin. This woman has 10 coins. The Bible says that she loses one. So don't miss this. It's not like she's financially hurting. She still has nine coins. But she thinks that the one coin is so valuable that she lost that she rips the house apart. She throws the furniture out. She starts to sweep so that she can find this one coin. And that, that's many of you in this room. That lost coin is you. But guess what? He'll rip the house apart in order to find you. Do you know who's rejoicing at that parable? The sinners. He'll, he'll tear the furniture up and sweep for me? You know who's disgruntled? The religious elite that are in the crowd. He goes into the prodigal son. It's almost like a Quentin Tarantino movie. He's just scene to scene to scene to scene. He goes into the prodigal son. And when he gets to the prodigal son, he starts to give this story of someone that was a sinner that went out and, and squandered the wealth. Do you know who's rejoicing at the prodigal son? The sinners. Do you know who's disgruntled? The religious elite. And then finally, after the religious elite feels so beat up, Jesus is like, oh, there's an older brother, though. And the older brother stayed. and He's religious. And he obeyed. And guess what? I'm coming out of the party to invite him into the party as well. So when I said I love Trace because it's eclectic, there are people that's in this room that are, 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 are still struggling with addictions. But guess what? There are people in this room that have walked with the Lord for 50 years. And guess what? We are now brothers and sisters in Christ because the party's for all of us. He, he invites all of us in to the party. And what he doesn't want the older brother to, to do is look down on the sinner. Because what happens is oftentimes the longer you walk with Jesus, the more we can look down on the person that is lost. But how many of us know, even if you stayed, we have to repent of our own religiosity. We have to repent of our own entitlement. We have to repent of feeling like, God, you deserve me on the team. If you're on the team, it's grace. Let me say that again. If you're on the team, it is nothing but God's grace. So the Bible says here that the younger son is being pursued, that the older son is being pursued. By the way, it's always God that pursues. We don't pursue God. It's always the opposite way around. You know, that's why Jesus says stuff like, you didn't choose me, John 15. I chose you and appointed that you would bear fruit. So if you feel like you chose God, it's because he chose you first. It's like tag. He tagged you first, which gave you the ability to even reach out and tag him back. And he does that while we're still sinners. Romans 5, 8, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. In other words, he didn't wait for the future you. That's what we all think. I got a few more minutes here. We all think that God loves the future you, the one that prays more. You know, that one that you have in your mind that memorized scripture more. 
We all think that God loves that you, the, the, the TikTok you, the, the Instagram you. Y'all know that we present ourselves way better on social media than we actually are. But God doesn't love the one that you present to the world, the well-polished you. He loves the, he loves the pictures that you deleted that you wouldn't post because it didn't show your good side. He loves that you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, my preaching professor, he would frown upon what I'm about to do. I need to go back to the top. See, the younger son is being pursued. He's the sinner in the text. The older brother is being pursued. He's the righteous one that stayed. They're both invited into the party. But there's some words that are used in verse 12. That really messed me up this week. In fact, I read verse 12 in in, in the original language, which is the Greek, and I ran upstairs to tie it. I was like, and I'm I'm, I'm normally not a spooky person. I'm like, God spoke to me. I I know God spoke to me, so I, I, I hope it speaks to you as well. Verse 12. In the English, there's two words that are used in a repetitive manner. It says, and the younger said to his father, father, give me the share of, here's the word, property. That is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Property and property are used two times in the English. And when you read it in the English, it's easy to overlook. I just found this out this week. It's easy to overlook when you read in the English because it's property, property. But do you know in the original language, the, the New Testament was written in this language called Greek. And in the original language, property and property are not the same word. For the first time he uses property, he uses the word usea. Usea in the, in the Greek means inheritance. It means estate. It means material possessions. So the son says, give me usea. Give me stuff. Give me material possessions. But that's not what the father gives him. The next property is bios. It is where we get our word biology from. And it means life. So the son asked for material possessions, the father gave him life. I thought that would hit a little bit, little bit different in the room. That's what made me run upstairs and say, Todd, the Lord spoke to me. We asked for property. We asked for usea. But do you know what God gave you? He gave you his life. How does he give us his life? By sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. It wasn't, like, it wasn't like God had 10 sons. He didn't send Gabriel. You know, that wouldn't have sufficed. He didn't send Michael. That wouldn't have worked. We would still have to atone for our sin. He sent heaven's best. He sent Jesus Christ to die for your sin. Jesus was extremely generous with his life. The fact that he was willing to die for people that were against him is amazing to me. I am saved right now, not because I worked for it, but because God pursued me and opened my eyes to the beauty of Jesus Christ. And there's somebody in this room that you're still in the field and you're, you're, you're still feeling like oh, I'm, I'm unworthy giving your life to Jesus. He gives you bios. He gives you his life. I simply want to pray for us as I end our time because I know you know how this works. I know how Sunday works. Just kind of, we, just, we just do our Jesus thing and we move on and we go on with life. But this very gospel should rock every fabric and every fiber of who you are. We don't do relationships the same. 
We don't, we don't work the same. We don't do our occupations and our job the same. We don't go to the coffee shop the same. We don't go to the gym the same. Uh, Dr. T, your, your muscles is, you got to teach me how to, how to get as buff as you. But we don't go to the gym the same. We're transformed believers. We are salt and light. And my prayer for this city is that this city would be engaged and redeemed because you're in it. Because you live here because you've been pursued while you were still in the field and you've received bios, not usea. Father, I thank you for everybody that's in the room. This, this passage is full of tax collectors and sinners and religious elite that were indifferent to you. But yet in the passage, you don't beat any of them up. You throw parties and you invite all of us into it. And so Father, I pray, oh God, that you would soften our hearts Help us to never look down on anybody. Help, help us to never feel unworthy of your love. Even though we are undeserving, that's why there's grace. That's why there's mercy. And so, Father, we thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for pursuing the one that left and pursuing the one that stayed. And because of that, may we be ambassadors of you. May we, may we be salt and light, as you say in Matthew 5. May this city Never be the same because we live in it. May we be like the apostles that walked into Thessalonica and, and they, these are the men that turned the world upside down. Lord, may, may this city be like that because Trace Church is on mission. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for being faithful and gracious. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.